0: Uh, welcome back. We are back in uh, live from the new short-term rental here in Redding, California. Um, had our, my first guests both in my apartment at my house and this house, so i um, getting all the kinks worked out, um, seeing where all the, uh, what is it, the, the sharp edges are, trying it's to, like, to try sort of those you, out.
1: You did it right, Dennis. It's a good way to do it you know, you had family coming to town for Christmas, Mm -hmm. have like, and that's a good point. Just a little quick tip here. Yeah. Like when you get a rental going, like go stay in it yourself. Yeah. Or, you know, better yet in your situation, you had family, you housed family, which was great and had them stay in it. And then Heard some
0: issues, you know, talk to him about it. That's He's right. Like, hey,
1: how was your experience? What, what worked? What didn't work?
0: Yeah. I mean, how, like, did, did you hear, you know, at, the, at, the, at our main house, like, did you hear our dog? Did you, could you hear us going down the stairs? Like, what could you hear? How, how, I mean, a, a good example was, I said the shower is just, it's warm. It's not hot, though. And so it turns out the new install in the shower faucet inside, there's a setting, didn't get set all the way to yeah. hot. And it's just like, I wouldn't have ever known that. I wouldn't have known to check that. And so good to have yeah. friendlies, start out, you know, any new to give you those, uh, the first impressions and also to the honest feedback. I think it's good for any, any new venture. Especially, so. I mean, we're gonna talk
1: about some of this a little later when, with reviews, but like, mm-hmm. you want your first guests, like multiple guests, but especially your first one, yeah. to have a really good experience. Totally, yeah. So you wanna work out those kinks. You don't want anything. I mean, there's gonna be stuff you have to work out over time, yeah. regardless. But you don't want that first one to be, oh, I didn't
0: have warm, hot water. Maybe, I mean, it, we're, it, we're in the experience game. It's literally the experience business, right? And so, um, yeah, having having some friends or doing it better at doing it yourself mm. uh, I think is a great proof of concept too because there, there's things, especially whether you're selling a house, you, you know all the blemishes, right, when you sell it and you just hope no one finds out because you've lived in it. And when you buy in a house, you don't know all the blemishes. You don't know where the, the floors creak. You don't you don't you just don't know all any of those things. And so, having that data, I think, is really important. Um, so we're sitting in the kitchen here uh, today. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, overall, it, we're going to talk a lot about guest relations, communication, and and this idea of what does success look like. So beginning with the end in mind, um, really, it has to do with proper expectation setting is going to set you up for success. That's really a, a life uh, objective. <laughs> it's a really good marital ob- objective, too. Uh, but when it comes to, to I guest I thought this was a
1: short-term rental it was. A, it, it was a short-term rental podcast. Are we going to branch out here?
0: No, I don't know if we're going to get into uh, the marital counseling. I don't think we will, relationship advice. But proper expectation setting does go a long way to both level set what your expectations are. I've got some advice for you. Do you? Oh, I mean, we can, we can take that offline, but, uh, (laughs) we can do a whole members only version of the booking confirmed podcast. Let's get real. Let's get going. But yeah, proper expectation setting like that, that can really define and also create the guide rails or the, or the bumper rails for guest relations. If you need to enforce a post, right. And so call into call your guests under the, uh, you know, to the could the carpet of like hey, you 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 know Christian you said this it wasn't true. Hey guest you said there was only two guests and I see a dog on this on this ring camera right and so both the expectations we're setting to our guests but also to the expectations that guests are communicating to us and how to take that in. So expectation setting before we do that, um, wanted to get your thoughts on a term that I've been hearing kind of on on multiple uh, investor podcasts on uh, this idea of kind of the macro. Uh, bust cycle of the real estate market and how it relates to not just real estate in, in general, but um, you have a lot of family funds, you have a lot of investment capital, scooping up a lot of profit over the last three or four years or so. But You've had a lot of uh, you know, mom and pop people, micro investors like you and I, whether they're baby boomers or first time home buyers, getting into the game specifically for Airbnb. You kind of have done this over the last two and a half years or so. People very much like yourself who got into it and they thought they had the chops to manage it, but for a number of reasons. But the biggest reason right now is increasing interest rates and, and uh, lower housing market. So a potential, uh, you know, a, a very real recession is is a lot of times restricting or constricting people using their um, their money to travel. So Airbnb isn't what it, it necessarily was thought out to be. And so the term that I've been hearing a lot is, is "Airbnb bust." Have you heard this term?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a trending term. It's, it, you know, you, you find it on Reddit and other, you know, chat rooms. And um, so essentially what Airbnb bust is, just to kind of put us on the same page of what we're talking about here. Um, so people got FOMO. Yeah. So they got a fear, a fear of missing out. So, so you know, the, the up cycle started to swing post-COVID, mm-hmm. right? So COVID, there was a bit of a dip there. We yeah. were on, you know, pre covid the short-term rental game was on a very steady growth, yep. right? 2000, we, we started back in 2014 mm-hmm. and since then, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, nice steady growth, you know, increasing demand into short-term rentals. Yep. You know, depending on your market, supply was kind of up and down. We had a unique situation here in Reading due to the fire Yep. in, um, the car fire in 2017, mm-hmm. which changed, changed the market quite a bit.
0: Change inventory, change supply.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, so, so ours changed a little bit different, um, but you know, even 2018, 2019, steady growth, and then in 2020, um, there, uh, you know, COVID happened. The world shut down. If you had a short-term rental or a, a whole portfolio, you were hammered. Yeah. At that point, because yeah. Airbnb sent out a memo saying uh, guests can cancel for free. Okay. No recourse. Okay. In 2020. So if you had a whole portfolio, which for me, I had sold off my entire portfolio that I'd had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I. You know, just fortunately, yeah, happened to be really wise. lucky, yeah. And so then that's when I came back into the market. Kay. is uh, a bunch of people went out of business because Airbnb just canceled bookings. Yeah, and there was you know no one was be booking. But then once once short term rentals came back online, mostly in more rural areas, mm-hmm. right? Yep. you saw this ramp up. I'm, I'm going too deep here into yeah. history, but anyway, there was a ramp up, mm-hmm. right? And, and kind of that post-COVID ramp-up where interest rates were at an all-time low. Yep, money was so, cheap. So buying single families was – money was super cheap. Yep. Um, and then there was just a steady rise and increase in pricing. Yeah. Right? So interest rates stayed really low. But by you know April of 2022 was kind of the peak of the buying when interest rates were still in the –
0: you know high twos well you also had the rocket fuel of covid where you had uh multiple months of free money and also remote work was unlimited yep. and so people got a chance to explore this idea of like well second I don't, homes I don't, or first homes when they're renting in san francisco new york hmm. chicago uh you know and then there's an idea of like well i could rent for thirty five hundred or 4 grand a month or i could go get a really sweet spread in a you know in a, in a town near my folks near my in laws near or just somewhere I'd like to explore and they've got the taste of property and acreage and a full house and multiple stories and toys they have a surplus there yeah. where where like they went from being renters their whole life to this idea of well I'm not stuck in a metro because of the jobs now the big draw of metros is the fact that they have the culture and the commerce to support. A bu- you know, a bustling, whatever, right? That's why people in Industrial Revolution moved to cities from farming, from agriculture. But we've had it that reverse here. And one of the big risks that we're hearing now is that with, uh, you know, with a lot of layoffs happening specifically in tech, but across the board, those remote jobs that were very gracious with that remote work are going to be potentially requiring you to move back to an office, which will require you to move back to a city but the fact that you had a chance to work from wherever gave a whole generation of people the opportunity to rethink the way that they work and also the way that they live, which I think sparked this idea of looking outside of their realm that they've always been in, which was trapped to where, where do I work? What are 20 or 30 miles from that place that I'm constricted to do, which added, added fuel to the fire when it came to not just buying my first property, but how do I monetize that in a way That's going to set me up for the future. Or that you actually, you know, and I I think that's a great,
1: you know, explanation of it. But then a lot of those people actually underwrote those properties
0: with short-term rentals in mind. So did they buy too much house? They did. And so they bought too much house as even though interest rates were low, property values were going high. And so – And they bought those houses based on – Fair market value. Based on –
1: uh, what the rates were, yeah, average daily rates mm-hmm. for short-term rentals, yep, and that they were on this upward cycle, and so, um, you know, and then from April, you know, uh, prices started to go up and yep. rates kept going up, yeah. So from yeah. that point, you know, we went from, you know, historically low interest rates, uh, mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the in the you know twos to threes to now we're up, you know, got up into you know seven percent.
0: Yeah. At times. My my, um, my interest rate on this house is seven point six percent.
1: Yeah, and it's slightly down right now. Yeah. But um yeah, it got up into the seven percent. So so rates have you know doubled to tripled mm-hmm. depending on 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 what you ended up locking in. And so that, you know, more you know, double to tripled yeah. the mortgage payments. You know, for people. And so, depending on where you bought on that cycle, I'm not yep. going to try to point to in a specific point where if you bought at this point, because it all depends on the property. Yeah. It all depends on, you know, the value you bought it for, mm-hmm. the price you bought it for based off what it's worth. Yep. It all depends on the market you're in. Every market's very different. Here in Reading, we haven't seen a ton of constriction on pricing. No. And I don't think we will see time. We'll, we'll see, you know, single digits. But you know, places like Seattle and Phoenix and you know these kind of places that have already given back twenty to thirty percent already yeah, um, yeah, we haven't had that kind of thing here, but
0: I, I mean, still I mean on this in this bust cycle it's it's all a lot of it is in major metros that are thirty plus forty fifty percent depressed now it's just like at the same time like. They're still above probably where they were in 2015-16, right? At the same time, you like they still a net positive there. Yeah, they were, but if you bought and
1: um, you know you had a you have a, a higher interest rate, yeah. and you bought for a higher price point, and now that price point has come down, yep, um, because it's you know uh, home prices have dropped in your area twenty to thirty mm-hmm. percent. So now you're, you know, maybe you're underwater. Yeah. You know, on your note.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh and there was a huge because of some of the FOMO and 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 rightfully so, people saw how well short-term rentals were doing. Yeah. They said, Hey, I want to get in that game. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get in that and get a taste of that kind of money. Yeah. And so there was a huge increase in supply, which we've talked about extensively here on this podcast, which brings down average daily rate and occupancy. Yeah. And so all of a sudden there's people, and this is what Airbnb bust is. People on these forums saying, "Hey, I can't get a booking." Mm-hmm. It's like, well, and that's not true. You can't get a booking at the price you're listing it for, or
0: the price that you need to support the mortgage potentially. That you have
1: right if you underwrote it improperly. And and this is why it's really important. You know, um, you know, here's some friendly, adv- you know, friendly tip. I don't know if we can say the word advice on this, but no,
0: we don't give advice. Um,
1: yeah, we don't give advice. But uh, a quick tip here. Is make sure you have multiple exit strategies yeah. when you go to purchase a property. Yep. Yeah. You don't want your entire strategy to be dependent on short term renting it. Yeah. One thing I love to do, there's there's a need for long term rentals um, here in our market. There's a huge lack, both mm-hmm. in, in Redding, Mount Shasta, the whole the whole Siskiyou County area, yeah. Shasta County area. So if you know and you calculate what does a long-term rent go for, yeah. whether you have a studio or a one-bedroom, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, you can figure that out pretty easily mm-hmm. in any market you're in. Yep. And make sure when you're going to buy something, you're like, hey, worst-case scenario, if just the, the short-term rental drives, market dries up, COVID happens again or yeah, yeah. some other world crisis – What could I turn? If I had to turn these into long term rentals,
0: what would I make and can I cover my debt? Well, and that's where, you know, big investors, their piece of advice is the same thing is like, you know, pretty much everyone can cover a $1,500 rent payment, right? So if I can get properties that can cash flow me and I can charge $1,500, I'm going to insulate myself from a, a lot of potential risk in the market itself. In this property I'm at now, I knew that I bought it for. 15% Fifteen percent under what market value was, and I also put twenty percent on it, assuming the market was going to go down. Now I could have missed an opportunity of waiting another six or nine months or so, and I and I actually capitalized off of that dip as well. But you you mentioned earlier as we were talking that the the spread between short term rentals and long term rentals used to be pretty vast, and how it it based mm-hmm. off the market dynamics that's changing.
1: Yeah. So when you know. Um, you know, a year to two ago here in Reading, you know, for example, you know, you have a, a two bedroom home, right? And and you could probably demand anywhere between twelve twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars a month, yeah. Long term rent mm-hmm. for that two bedroom home. Yep. You know, and you could probably get, you know, eighteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month, maybe. Yep. Yeah. You know, for that uh, as a midterm rental. Mm-hmm. Like a thirty night rental. Yep. Um, and then for but a short term rental, you know, I was making thirty five to forty five hundred dollars a month.
0: I mean, there was there was months where you're making over ten thousand right? dollars. There was. So I mean, but I yeah. mean, you can't count on that. But I mean, there's the, the average was was a lot higher than what you could have got for a long term rental. Sure. Yeah.
1: And so it made every se- it made total sense. Oh, yeah. To keep short term renting mm-hmm. it yep. when there's that kind of spread. Yeah. You know, but now you know with with as as we just described. Um, you know, uh, increasing supply, mm-hmm. which decreases average daily rate and yep. occupancy. Yep. You have to adjust average daily rate down to yep. keep your occupancy high. Mm-hmm. So now you're looking at, you know, a two bedroom, you know, on the short-term rental side. You know, if you can do to 2,500 yeah. to 3,000, that's great. Yep. You know, in this market, on average, yeah, across the year. Yeah. Um, but, from long-term rentals have gone up. Yeah,
0: you know a significantly.
1: Lot. A lot. You know throughout this cycle, and they potentially could be coming down potentially. But if now the long-term rent, so if you're if you say you're at twenty five hundred for a short-term rental, yeah, and your long-term rental is now up to two thousand,
0: uh huh. It's like, well, why wouldn't I long-term? Why rentals? wouldn't I? Yeah. Well, and part of that is the expectation. We're, we're going to talk a lot about expectation setting with guests in this episode, but the expectation setting of yourself at before you buy something too. This idea of you running the numbers, you having a performa, you having a buy box. So you're going after and hunting the deals you think that you can capitalize off of. But the expectation setting is having, you know, for me it's having six to seven months of coverage of a mortgage in the bank ready to go because I don't know what's gonna happen. And between my ADU and this property and building out this new ADU, right, having a plan that, that basically can cover itself, whether that is b- between a short-term or a long-term.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think,
0: I think working out those scenarios, those contingency strategies, is only going to benefit you in the long-term to make sure you're kind of a ro- robust investor in the way you're thinking about your exit strategies, like you said. like. Why would you sell a, an asset if it truly is an asset? If it becomes a liability, obviously you should sell a liability off because it's not going to help you long term. But if you can eke through the hard times and in, mm-hmm. in short-term rental operating, every year we have hard times because we have shoulder season. seasons, right? We, yes, like it's it's a seasonal business. Absolutely. You, you have to budget in a way that you can make it through the shoulder seasons so you can get to the high seasons, right? Yeah, I mean we're in it right now. Yeah,
1: like. This is when we batten down the hatches here. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, Christmas and New Year's is a nice kick. Yeah, but, it's nice. But we're know, not going to
0: see another one until till the weather changes,
1: right? In March. Yeah. So, you So know, it doesn't really start to tick up until you know January and February. Is slow. You get a couple holiday weekends, but then slowly, March, yeah. April, yeah, yeah, May. Yeah. It starts. I'm, I'm I'm showing climbing here. Yeah, here yeah. With a, my hair.
0: hand motions going up we gotta, to, we to gotta, the right. We gotta, we gotta do. We so. gotta get a visual. We gotta get yeah. a. We gotta. We gotta I we gotta like it. it. Videos.
1: No, well, but but yeah so so I think you make a really good point Dennis of like like hey like if this is a time like you do not want to sell. Yeah. Like unless you have got a great buyer out there. I mean don't, I happen to sell something don't have, but weekend. I was able to sell it at a, at a high price point. Like yeah. this is not the time to sell. Yeah. Like like this is not the time to sell, but it is the time to buy. It's about and, and, and we're kind of in that fringe like right now. Buyers are trying to hold on to their
0: pricing, but it's gonna come down, it's gonna come down fast. Well, people are trying to hold on to their house because they're not getting a hundred thousand dollars more that they that they should have they should have sold a year ago at a hundred thousand dollars more than they have now, right? Well,
1: and the other reason is if say so say so so if you actually got it at a good interest rate, yeah. Why would you sell?
0: But that's I mean that's why for me it was, yeah, I got it for three twelve, but I strategically put twenty percent on it. Well, one, because it was an investment property, but two, because the interest rate was so high, right? And so for me, it's just like, I, I didn't have another option. I could move into it and get it, but my interest rate still gonna be 7.6. So for, I'm basically buying, I'm buying down my mortgage payment by putting a lot of money on it, right? Well, yeah, and, and, and I think for
1: you, like, and, and so the plan for anybody who's buying right now, because yep. I'm in the middle of a transaction myself mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. and my interest payment's probably gonna be in the six and a half yep. on that. Which which it's commercial, so commercial typically is higher, but yeah. that's still higher than I prefer. Yep. Yeah. Um and it's not an interest pay that's not a, a you know a rate I want long term. Yeah. But the plan is get it now at a low price point. Yeah. Cause this price has come way down. So the value is there a ton on this property, and then in two years, likely twenty-four months. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I, I if I were to put some timetable on this recessions, I would say Six months to 24 months yeah. is what it would be. Yep. But, I mean, we have to get this property up and running and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. build up the NOI in order to get a higher valuation. Mm-hmm. Totally. But we're going to refinance it at some point. Yep.
0: Refinance it at the lower rate when they're available. Again. Well, and that's an, that's an interesting topic, too, probably for another episode of uh, this idea of uh, using leverage to expand your portfolio mm-hmm. versus paying down properties like this idea of you know i've got you know i got a margin on, on 250 on this house well i mean I, one investor strategy would be to pay it down to a hundred thousand dollar mortgage and spread it out so my payment goes down my margin per my nightly rentals or my, or my short-term short-term or, or long-term rentals goes up to increase my cash flow there's a couple of different things there as opposed to taking the equity out of it so, and, and expand using leverage so using leverage versus becoming more of a, in a cash position both both are can be fine depending on because for me it's like building out this ADU and getting that lit up for two thousand dollars a month is as valuable to me as going out and getting another property, especially during this recession, right? Yeah. So let me say something really quick on that. Yeah. So typically
1: you have two different types of strategies, which you're just describing. One is the more using leverage, yep. and one is removing leverage. Mm-hmm. So if you are building a portfolio, you want to use as much leverage as possible. Mm -hmm. If you are in your later years, and you're trying to preserve a portfolio, you want to remove
0: leverage. Well, that's interesting in a macro environment, when prices are low, and interest rates are high, and it's as volatile as it is, because I was was talking with someone earlier today, and they were saying, well, I don't think I'm gonna buy for another 24 months because of all these macro indicators, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, but I mean, whether you're a baby, um, imagine if you were a baby boomer and you sold two years ago at the height, and you rolled over in a cash position, an all cash position, bought something in cash. If you buy something, have something outright, you don't care what the market's doing. You Don't. And so what you're
1: what you're describing is, is so 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 yeah. What I was gonna say is there's kind of like two overall strategies there. Yeah. yeah. And typically those have to do with age. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also you know risk tolerance risk is part risk, of that yeah, and sure. just where you're at in your in your in your investment
0: yeah.
1: um, kind of journey yep yeah. right However, the thing that you're talking about is the market can change it yep yeah. the market can change it. So we went from a very low interest rate environment yeah where we have been in a historical decade of low interest rates Oh yeah decade plus. you know yeah. since 2008 we've been in you know low interest rates historically yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and 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 ultra low historic interest rates over the last couple of years. Yeah, right. So now we're in a high interest rate environment, and so in a higher interest rate environment, it does change things. Mm-hmm. Money is not as cheap, and so what a lot of people are doing now, even people who were very aggressive in building their portfolios, they they've become more conservative. Yeah. In, in in putting more money down mm-hmm. on properties, deleveraging, yep. de risking, yep. because if you have a you know 30 percent price drop, yeah, and you have a lender who could, you know, this doesn't happen as much with single families, but more in the commercial space. There's lenders who are going to be calling notes, yeah, for sure, and and, and and calling, you know, essentially going to you know if if your note matures, yeah, and you want to extend that note, they're gonna be like, no. Nah. Because there's just not money out there to let to so lend.
0: So that's an, that's an interesting angle too. Of uh, you know, we have you know, I have, a, I have a I have a personal line of credit for fifty for fifty G's, and then I have a, uh, a home equity home equity line of credit for I think like eighty five, mm-hmm. and it was assessed I think you know six months ago, seven months ago at my assessed property value was I think five twenty five on my primary right. Okay, but now my property value is probably like more in like the 480 perspective but i still have access to a line of credit at the higher range and so strategically thinking over a five or ten year time horizon as an investor i taking advantage of cheap money to create lines of credit for myself for the future even though i'm not planning on using it unless we get a really good deal when it comes from building your portfolio to protecting your portfolio like when do, when's the best time to build your portfolio well when prices are super suppressed regardless of what interest rates, I mean, yeah, interest rates matter, but if you get a property for $100,000, who cares if you have a 9% interest rate on it, right? As opposed to a million dollar property at 2.5%, I mean, it still, it matters, but at the same time, as of creating lines of capital for yourself that you can put to work, I'm glad I my property got assessed at 525, because I got more on my HELOC than I would have if I got it assessed now.
1: But your HELOC's variable.
0: It is variable, yeah. And it so is, it's up to 9% now. The interest rate is yeah. up to nine percent, but I was thought as far as how much money I can I can get out of it. You could get yeah. yeah. How much money I can get? And yeah. so that
1: I mean, just another little yeah.
0: quick tip when you're
1: looking at at mortgages, mm-hmm. key locks, lines of lines of credit, etc. Yep. Preferably, mm-hmm. you all you'd want fixed.
0: Yeah. Oh man, if you can get it, dude. So you want fixed? It's
1: not always possible. I've got variable lines of credit as well that I'm paying on right now that are painful.
0: Yep. A lot, um, a lot of lines of credit are, unless you're going to do like straight hard money, they might give you a yeah, fix. Yeah, typically a
1: 30-year mortgage is going to be a fixed mm-hmm. rate yep. on, a, on a conventional loan on a single-family home. But yep. if you're you know getting a personal line of credit or if you're getting a business line of credit, um, a you, home equity line of credit, these are typically yep. going to be variable rates. Yep. If you can get one fixed, go for it. But it's just something to be really careful of. You definitely want to just understand if you're going to take out a variable line of credit, Variable interest rate loan. Yeah, you want to be you want to have your pulse on what's happening on the economy. Yeah, because if interest rates go up like they have significantly right now, you just want to make sure you can cover that. I I have I happen to have a uh, you know I'll be you know I have a I have a three hundred thousand dollar variable rate loan. Yeah, that I you know my my payment went from twelve hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. Wow, on it.
0: It's not nothing, and
1: it's just interest. It's not nothing. <laughs> it's just it's just interest. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Interest. yeah. It's yeah. interest only payment. Yeah, and so yeah, my plan is, and I'm I'm actively working on paying that yeah down for sure with with you know everything I've got, yeah. every extra dollar I have, I put into those yeah. to pay those down because they were yeah three percent.
0: Yeah. For now sure.
1: they're nine percent. For sure. You know. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you take money at three percent, if it's fixed,
0: gold all day, golden, I'll take as much yeah, as I yeah, can yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's variable, yeah,
1: you don't want all of it variable.
0: So, so kind of wrapping up this idea of of this, you know, what could what could be considered a myth, right? Just from a from a twenty something thirty something perspective, whether you had FOMO and got into the market. And you feel like you kind of got duped or that there's a rug pull or that the market's changed and now you have a super high mortgage and you don't know what to do with it or this idea of you bought an investment property and it's not renting for what you needed to um you know you know i i would caution people to take macro data points and apply them to this idea of, of investing local i think you and i are, we, we really assess our city and our county and our region For what it is, right? Understanding our market is really where we feel like we have the biggest upside in our investment strategy and building our portfolio, as well as managing our portfolio. I can't take somewhere like Austin or Boise where they've had 90% increase and they're dropping now by 50% and apply it to where we live. And that's where I, I hear it. I hear the macro data points as far as an Airbnb bust. But really that comes down to what still – what we talk about is your vision for a property, your your barrier of entry, what you're willing to afford, what your risk threshold is, what your vision is for the property, like what you needed to do, and making sure you didn't over-leverage your yourself to get into it, right? Yeah, and, and you bring up a really good point,
1: Dennis. There is no such thing as a national housing market. Like, like yeah. if anybody ever starts talking about the national housing market, yeah. just stop listening.
0: Yeah, there, there's
1: there's there's literally no such thing yeah as a United States no national housing market
0: real estate is so local it's I, so local it there, there's inventory there is there is like supply and demand is a concept that can be applied wherever you go that's true right there's no there's there's dynamics yep. and there's fundamentals yeah
1: absolutely that you can learn but when somebody talks about the the, the housing market, the national housing market is doing this, yeah. And the national housing market is doing that. No, it's 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 useless.
0: Yeah, it, it's useless. And currently, right now, I mean, you you, we, you were texting about it. This idea of this standoff between interest rates and the Fed, and people who wanted to sell but they're not getting the price that they want for it, so they're holding on to it. And renters who want want to buy but can't now can't afford to buy, or they can't afford to buy but don't know what the market's doing. So it's all it's all in the stalemate, right? The stalemate that's happening right now in the market on a whole. And, and, but is that affecting, I'll ask you on your 16 listings, what's your occupancy rate? Are you seeing a, a dramatic dip that's, that's out of the ordinary for a shoulder season of the business? Uh, no,
1: I mean my occupancy rate's at an all-time high for me because I've adjusted a, a, to a different strategy. And that goes into um,
0: a great segue to you've changed your expectation for your own business and for what success looks like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm. I definitely follow. Um, I listen to what's happening. Yeah. On the whole, like on the macro trends, like when I say there's no housing market nationally, it doesn't mean I'm not aware. Yeah. Of what's happening around me. Yeah. I, I think you can listen to things and be aware, but then you always have to analyze your own market and what's happening in your own space. Totally. And so I'm definitely aware of what's happening on the on the on the macro level, on the national level, that we are, you know, have been, are in recession, likely could last, you know, six to twenty four more months, yeah. depending on what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, every asset class has given back a ton and is yeah. down. Yeah. Um, real estate's, you know, not gonna be the only one that that doesn't happen to. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it depends on where you are, yeah. what you buy, and if you have to sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because your, your, the, the value of your home goes down, it's going to go back up eventually. Yeah, As long as you don't have to sell today. Yeah, And so sure. you, it, it's more about protecting yourself, right? Yeah. Building a moat around yourself. Yeah, My financial advisor, Eric, buddy of ours. Hey, good guy. Shout out, Eric Bagley. Love, love, love you, bro. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing he's always tried to encourage me is like, build a moat. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: you got a castle, build a moat. Well, that goes into how, house hacking too. This idea of how to leverage, how to, how to, how to biz judo a liability into an asset, right? And, and also not biting off more than you can chew, have, having an accurate representation of who you are and have enough self-awareness about what you can afford to lose. You know, this idea of not betting more than you can afford to lose. And, and, yeah. and like what you're ready to take responsibility for. And so I think a lot in the Airbnb bus is, whether it's baby boomers or, or first time home buyers, or you know, working professionals that are like, oh, this is easy. This is easy money. I'll just get into it. But they don't account for the management. They don't account for the guest relations. They don't account for the expectation setting. They don't count for all the stuff that goes on. To like, literally, you're not you're not buying a house. You're buying a business. Mm-hmm. And do you want to take on a full time job of a, a new business owner? And you're creating a new startup LLC for yourself with every house into our portfolio in addition to your day job. And I think that expectation setting or that lack of expectation setting for yourself really changed this idea of what was feasible and what success looked like and that it's a lot harder than people think that it is, especially in the high times. When people have disposable money or they're trapped in their house for so long they just need to get out and go travel somewhere and so they'll go spend money to go travel, Right, but this idea of it, it, their expectations for being their own entrepreneurial business owner was not what it lived up to be in the in the hype of 2018, 19, leading up to the pandemic. Yeah. All right, man, we're uh, we're into this. So um, anyone who has any comments regarding Airbnb busts or the myths that are in the housing market, obviously we don't want to be blind to this idea of uh, that prices are going down or interest rates are going up. I think that that is totally legit and factual, and that and if we check the facts, that is a, a data point we can use. At the same time, like how to be contrarian investors and predatory buyers as far as opportunities that come our way, chaos always breeds opportunity if you're ready and willing for that opportunity. How big the opportunity comes, I think depends on your risk threshold, and you and I, Happen to be a little bit more risky, I would say, than the average person that we meet. That being said, I think everyone can position themselves to be eyes wide open and be informed and educated on the market. But if we're only listening to the hype of how much the market's crashing, I don't feel like that positions me. What well, we're sitting, we're sitting in an opportunity based off chaos, right? The market is saying, "Don't buy, don't spend, don't leverage," and I'm like who's telling me that? Why are they telling me that? And what it, what do I have to lose and what do they have to gain? And so I'm like the price was right at 312. The interest rates were high, but still the opportunity of turning one door into two in one of the best neighborhoods in in my area that I know that I can go ahead and, and execute on and manage appropriately. My buy box de- determined my decision making. And because of that I'm like I was very self assured and I'm still self assured. I'm like yeah, every three to six months, take a moment and assess your portfolio. I think that's that's wisdom, but making a decision or not making a decision based off of all the pundits and the media around what the entirety of our nation's housing market's doing, I don't think that has any relevancy to based on where you live. And I think even to another like step further than that, if you live in a major metro, if you're waiting to buy or capitalize, if your barrier of entry is a million dollar threshold to get into a property, you might want to look at, at 50 to 100 miles outside of where you live as a potential market to go and inform yourself and get educated about what opportunities could come in the midst of this chaos because the hot markets are going to go up by 30 40 50% but they're also going to go down just as fast and the farther the, the like the farther outside of these concentric circles basically based off of mileage you get also the impact can go down, meaning the risk, the risk of high, higher highs and lower lows gets uh, minimized, meaning that Reading didn't didn't we didn't receive a 50 to 60 percent increase in our prices. But we also are not experiencing a 50% de- decrease in our prices either, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So um, transitioning into expectation setting for guests. And so so the tagline that we came up with early on was five-star business practices for short-term rental operators. And so this idea of the first part of that is five star. And that has to do with this, This there's a system in place and there's a standard that was put in place by really Airbnb. Uh, but before that, even the kind of the Yelps of the world kind of popularized this when we were in high school and in college, where this idea that people would go to restaurants and they would rate and that there was a social trust and a social fabric that I can trust other consumers that are going to an establishment more than the establishment itself. And so the whole idea of reviews is a whole economy of value that's really, really new. It's a really new economy of trust in the last, what, like 15, since we got out of college, really? 15 years, right? And so this idea, like recap a little bit about the the rating system um, and as it pertains to this idea of expectation setting. And when we say expectation setting, it's how do we properly define for the people in advance what type of experience they should expect, uh, and then and this idea of expectations kind of can 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 fall the same side of expectations are also the in a way rules or boundaries that you as a short term rental operator are setting for your guests coming into your space.
1: Yeah, and so it's it's really important to um, accurately set the expectations for a guest of what your property is and what it isn't and um we were talking about this before we got on it doesn't matter i mean it does matter but it doesn't matter if you have a shithole yeah like if you have a shithole but you say this is a shithole yep in in more eloquent language than that of course and a guest books it for fifty dollars a night, yeah. But they knew it was a shithole. Yeah.
0: It might be a very good experience for a guest, and you might get a four out of five stars if you accurately depict what it's going to be for them.
1: Sure. And if you're selling a shithole, you're not going to have a five-star rating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, because there's always going to be that, you know, budget-friendly that mm-hmm. budget guest who's looking for that you know economically
0: friendly stay and, right? and at the same time if you have a shithole that's in carlsbad california on the ocean yeah people are not going to care that it's a shithole totally. really really so so like your your location and it, it matters based off of like you You can have literally a shack or not even a tiny house just like a shack yeah too. and it could play dude you we
1: just went i just i just stayed in one of these good so we went to uh, Manhattan Beach, yeah, and um, we wanted to stay near the water. Mm-hmm. And we, were, I took, we took our girls to Disneyland. It was a quick two-day trip. Yep. We flew down, had dinner with some friends, stayed the night. We're going to Disneyland that whole next day, stayed the night, went to the beach for the yep. day, and then flew home. Yeah, So we were like, we want to be right on Manhattan Beach. I like Manhattan Beach. Yep. This is where we want to stay. Mm-hmm. So I booked the cheapest place. Yeah. In Manhattan Beach, I could find because you you knew you're only going to do it a crash, and I was going to walk to the beach, walk to the beach, and and I'm just crashing. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so we stayed in probably the worst short-term rental in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. It was a two-bedroom, beautiful homes around it, multi-million-dollar homes around it. Yeah. And it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't you know it it honestly wasn't as clean as I'd have liked it. Yeah. Definitely furniture super old. Yeah. You know it was a shithole. But I still booked it, and I knew what I was booking. How, how, and I'd book it again. What was the nightly rental on it? I don't remember. It, I mean, it was the lowest that it was. It was probably – it was a bit of the off-season. It was in the fall. So, so it was probably like high ones, yeah. I would guess, per night. It was like probably like 150 to 180 per night. I don't remember exactly, but somewhere in there. But I still, my overall stay was over –
0: Probably five hundred bucks. So so this goes into this goes into like some consumer psychology. So I'm I'm thinking of a you know, and and it's different (laughs) whether I'm solo versus bringing my wife and two two daughters. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember this time we we we, you know I usually book the Airbnbs down in Hillcrest in San Diego, and I'm I'm from San Diego, I know it, but it was like a seventy nine dollar a night booking, right, in downtown Hillcrest. I'm like, it's central. It's cool. I'm going to be working. I'm in a different mindset, right? I'm going to be there. I just need to be where I need to be and I'll branch out from there. But I mean, super thin walls, high traffic zone, absolute shithole, right? I got so much crap for what I chose, but I'm like, hey, for me, it's about location and proximity to where I need to be. I'm not thinking from a family perspective. And so the expectation of why you're going to be there and also like the contingency of kids and the contingency of wife, and the contingency to breakfast spots and cafes, like it matters from a consumer's perspective. But I knew what I was getting for $79 a night. I knew yeah. it couldn't have been great, right? Yeah, totally. So, and so it's, I mean, that, that's the point is you just want to accurately
1: set expectations for what it is. If it's a luxury property, market is a luxury property. That's great. If it's not a luxury property, don't use that word. And so And so price is a very black and white expectation. I don't think so. Okay, talk to me. So price doesn't have to do with expectations. When I think about expectations, I think about the listing description, okay, and amenities. All right. So you want to be very clear in your description of, you know, hey, if there's any shared walls, okay, right? If there's any nuances about the property, I've got, you know, our, our lodge up in Mount Shasta, you know, we remodeled it, but it still has got some funkiness. Mm-hmm. Like there's one of our bathrooms that has like a slightly kind of like vaulted lower ceiling, yeah, yeah. you know? So I clarify that in the listing. If there's any short ceilings in your property, you want to clarify that. If there's any funkiness, like yeah. every property is unique and different. If you're hustling like I was, like, you know, you were buying stuff cheap. Yeah. You were buying stuff with issues and then yep. you make the most of it. Totally. Right. It doesn't mean you can't rent that. You yeah. can absolutely rent that and make some really good money. And I think that's, oftentimes the best way to go. You don't want yeah, to overpay yeah. for stuff. You don't want yeah. something to be perfect. Like guess yeah. what? overall, you, you know, you address the issues you have, but then you clarify and you, and you specify and you show them as much as you can. So nobody can say, Hey, this came, this came up and I didn't know about it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I talked about it. I wrote about it. I put asterisks around it. Yeah, yeah. I showed you a picture of it. Yeah. Like I made it really clear what this was yeah. and what it wasn't
0: yeah I, I always say idiot, how do I idiot proof my my listing yeah
1: and every once in a while you're still gonna get a guest that has been like hey you know where's the laundry room yeah, yeah it's yeah. like bro go outside I wrote to, in the description the there is no laundry room. yeah, yeah, yeah. you sure. can't
0: fault me for not having a laundry room well that's interesting from an investing perspective too of looking for the diamonds kind of in the rough of turning what some people think is a liability of a uh, of a of a rooftop slant or a short shower ceiling, or whatever it is like, and, and they shy away from it or they decrease their price point for you, where he's like, well, I mean, how do I turn that liability into an asset? We'll call it out. I mean, it, especially in sales and business development, like over communication covers a multitude of sins. That's what we mm-hmm. say, right? Cause this idea of like, as long as, if you're gonna be late on a deadline, as long as you proactively let them know, and then let them know what you're doing and what you're going to do about it, and the new time and set the new expectation. Actually, that actually improves the relationship. That increases the strength of the trust that's there. As opposed, to if you avoid it and you try to hide it, you try to diminish it, you, you you're not kind of um, you're not catering to people's uh, you know needs or merely their fears of like, wow, I don't know what I'm getting with this listing. I don't know. I don't know if this was broken before I got here, right? And, and really, like, people don't know. And, and, and perception, a lot of times, is reality. And that's where being honest about what type of photos that you're putting on your listing, and the description, like, my primary residence, I live next to a busing facility for the local high school district, but it also is the busing facility to, for a lot of the school districts in our town. Mm-hmm. And so at 4.45 a.m., you hear some periodic bus noises, right? And it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, or just engines turn on, right? And so yeah, I, I have a comment, but I'm gonna call that out because yeah, I have a, I have a sound machine in it. Yes. I'm going yeah. to double pane the windows. I'm gonna create I'm gonna I'm gonna create foam all over the windows to minimize that as much as I can do and call it out, right? Yeah and if they accept that, then you're good.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right about the review system, like the review system as much as it is it can be annoying mm-hmm. if a guest you feel like is um, overcritical. Yeah, um, it can also be very informational for future guests. And so, if you have an issue yeah. that a guest calls out on pretty much all of these OTAs, online travel agencies, yep. you have the space to respond to that guest mm-hmm. review. Yeah. And so, you can actually go and so say a guest is like, "Hey, um, uh, if they say something that's not true." Yep. Um, or if they say something that is true, that's just an issue. Like, hey, there's there's a bunch of noise, right? Yeah. The buses be like, hey, yeah, you know, thanks, John, for your stay. We really enjoyed meeting you. You know, super glad we got to meet you and all the fun things you're doing. Like every time you respond to somebody's review, this is an opportunity to make yourself look awesome. That's right, right? Yeah. And this is your opportunity to make them look like a douchebag. That's true. But mostly yourself, awesome. Yeah. Oh, you want yeah. to be the bigger person. Yeah. So if anybody's ever critical of you. Be the bigger person. Well, because it, you're not you're not writing to them. Yeah. You're writing to all your potential future guests. Well
0: there's two things there is um, if you talk to them on the phone, pretend like someone's listening. And everything you write in writing, if you're gonna put it in writing, be positive, open minded and proactive because if you need it later on for any other reason, that you will you it will be documented with timestamp in the day, and you'll have proof of what you actually did. The other part of that too is that we don't know our own blind spots. As human beings, we don't know our own blind spots. So as owner operators, there's things that we look past that other people aren't gonna look past. And I think that the review process is an invitation. It can be looked at as a negative and try to like look past it at the same time like, if you really want to be excellent, and if we're in the experienced business, why not be excellent? If you're going to play the game, you may as well fucking win the game, right? And so, like, be great at it. And part of that is, is inviting feedback. It's inviting, like, engaging. If someone wants to be confrontational, it's really – it's engaging that conversation and see where it goes. And you don't – and not have any prejudgment of where it can go, right?
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, with you, with your house and, and, and the issue of buses, you just – Make it really clear. Like when somebody writes about an interview, you respond and say, "Hey, you know, that's totally. You know, maybe make a joke about it. You know, be you know, and be like, you know, we try to be really clear about you know our expectations – about you know setting clear expectations. We communicate what what you know what this issue is. You know, we we we've provided a sound machine and we've done everything to insulate the walls. You know, you know, and and so. And also, you, you know, you're living upstairs, so, like, this isn't a place for light sleepers. Yeah, yeah, you know? I mean, I have two kids and a dog. You're going to hear some noise upstairs, right? And so you're going to kind of, it. anybody who's a light sleeper, you kind of want to clear that up up front, because yeah. you really don't want them as a guest. Yeah, for sure. You know? Because you're only going to have problems. Like, what? if they come and stay at your place, you're going to have nothing but problems. Like, if I have somebody come to my lodge and think it's some, like, like we, we we remodel all the interiors. It's really nice, but yeah. it's still a rustic totally. lodge. Yeah, like if they're looking for some luxury, you know, high end, you know, bougie, yeah, um, you know, stay, and that's their expectation. And they come here and they're like, "This is like a pecky cedar sided lodge," mm-hmm. which I think is cool. Yeah, but to somebody who's looking for the Ritz, is going to be like, "This place sucks."
0: So you that, know? so that goes into. You know KYC or know your customer, right? Another way totally. we, talk, we talk about is your ideal customer target or your ideal customer profile is avatar. You your avatar. You can't you can't be everything to everyone. If you try to appeal to everybody, you're gonna appeal to no one. To no one, right? And so no and and part of it is the product that you're putting out there is an expression of who you are. It's not an expression. Of, of an ideal that you have in your head, right? And so, for better or for worse, who you
1: are, or who you're marketing to,
0: or you're, who you're marketing be, to, because yeah. I, I think that's even
1: better. I mean, yeah. I, I I like I, my our brand actually happens to be part of who we are,
0: yeah. As people, yeah. But you could build an entire brand that has nothing to do with you. You could, yeah. I guess that that is. I'm speaking out of personal preference because, like, I built my ADU. Like I built my house, right? Sure. And so I have granite countertops. I have nice floors. I, I mean, I, I built it as I would build it if I wanted to live there. So, because it's an expression of my level of excellence. Now, I've been, and I respect the shit out of Airbnb owners that do tile floors throughout, right? When they, they're doing, they're doing like, the I most expect, indestructible I, I the shit out
1: of people who build the whole Disney themed <laughs> oh, yeah. unit, like they know and what they, hate Disney. They know what they're I'm doing. Like, yeah, you're, you're my idol. Yeah, man,
0: <laughs> for sure, because they 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 are catering to the customer. Because it doesn't matter what I prefer. It really, we're running a business. It's about a bottom line, and we're not living there. We're, it's not for us. We talk about totally. this all the time. It's not for us. Like we're running this thing. As a business to get ahead or work ourselves out of a day job or to become part of our, our lifestyle business we're wanting to run. But talk talk a little bit about knowing your customer avatar and how, you know, I'll give, I'll give four different examples. Single working professional, digital, you know, which is kind of a digital nomad, couples, family vacationers and this idea of an outdoor adventure person
1: yeah and so setting expectations this, this goes more towards marketing here but um you know identifying your ideal customer or your customer avatar for your space so you have to understand like you know what type of property do i have first and foremost you yep. know if this is a studio it's obviously not a family unit it's yep. a single person's unit maybe a couple mm-hmm. right you know, is this, where is this, and, and where is this located? Is it in the kind of downtown? Is it yeah. more suburbs? How much land do you have? What amenities do you have? You know, if it's a four bedroom, two bath with a pool. Now we're talking kind of family, yeah. you know, property, right? And so knowing kind of who you're catering to, like what your ideal customer is, where it's located, and this is going to be different for everybody, but then go after that group. Yeah. Right. Like, don't try to make it for everybody, like, but particularly go after that group. Right. So you set really clear expectations and even in your title.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So if you're trying to go after a digital nomad, say something to the extent of, you know, and it's downtown and, you know, hey, downtown next to coffee shops, you know, one gigabyte Wi-Fi. Yep. Right. If you have that. Yeah. You know? yeah. like, so, so you're, these are people who want to work from home, yeah. um, you know, emphasize like the quietness if they're, maybe they're traveling nurses and they sleep during the day, mm-hmm. you know, blackout shades yeah. would be something that would be great for that kind of listing. Um, you know, really good Wi-Fi access, you know, emphasize or even communicate. Like one thing I like to do, there's a section in Airbnb called other things to note. Yeah. And in that section, I always put like restaurants you know, bars, coffee shops, depending on what type of listing it is, information of, of things that are walkable. Yeah. Or quick drives. Yep. So I'll put, for example, by one of my properties, you know, uh, Theory Coffee, two-minute walk. Mm-hmm. You know, award-winning coffee shop. Shout out, Sam. Right? Um, so, or, or like, you know, best pizza in the North State, Maxwell's. Yep. Right? Get it, Maxwell's. Get it, boy. Um... So, yeah, so you can kind of put these different listings and, and right now I'm building a new listing. So I'm doing all these new fun things for this town, McLeod, that I'm buying a new property in. Um, and, and it's amazing. I'm even falling in love with McLeod as I start to list out like, you know, these different restaurants that McLeod has of that are like super fun and, and delicious. And so like you kind of like you want to curtail it yeah. to that specific group. Don't try to be everything.
0: Don't try to appeal to everybody, appeal to your market. So that, that's interesting on, t- on two different levels is getting to know your market, right? So the things that you love about your area, other people will, will love, but not everyone will love. And so it's almost like you're looking, you're looking for raving fans to tell people like them to come stay with you specifically. So it's almost like you're attracting a community of people based off of what you're putting out. The expectation that you're setting the, the good reviews are gonna come from people that had a great experience and we want more of those people and usually those people know people like them. That's, not, that's the great thing about the review system is that word of mouth or social leverage matters a whole lot more on these online sites than it does even in like in everyday life because we're we're leveraging technology so much more than just actually talking to one another about, hey, oh, you're going to Anaheim, you're going to Disneyland, Da, 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 da. Really, we, you're relying on Airbnb and these review systems and what people are putting on there so much more than actually community or the community around you to, to say that, to, to crowdsource a review. So it's almost like you don't need a lot of guests. You need the right amount of the right guests to give you the reviews to build a profitable business that's sustainable, right?
1: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So talk to me about objection blocking. And so in sales, objection blocking is this idea that before I, I, I can predict, I, I've, been doing, I've been doing this gig long enough, I've been giving this pitch long enough that I know the five questions that you're gonna ask me. And I proactively am gonna have answers to your questions about it. And so in the past, you talked about street noise, shared walls, low ceilings, and so before they have a chance to get to the end of their stay, give you a bad review, that you pregame that in the description to make sure you touched on a little bit with the low ceilings, but this idea of getting out of head of any weird or quirky parts of the product that you're putting out there.
1: Yeah, and, and, and so that's important. And and I think it's I think it's important to note like you don't have
0: to buy properties that are perfect. It's actually better for you financially if you if you find a diamond in the rough, if and and then increase the appreciate force appreciation, right? Sure. And and as you get going, you'll see
1: you know what guests care about, yeah. And different types of guests care about different things. Yep. Um, and so, for example, oftentimes you know it, I know I have a property in downtown Reading that, um, you know, we remodeled. It was a turd when I bought it. Yeah. And we remodeled it, um, but it still has some quirks. And there's still a kind of transient population that walks through there yeah. from kind of the river, mm-hmm. you know, to the down to this downtown liquor store yep. where people walk, and so that can be a comment I get. Yeah. And so, you know, in some way, you can you can clarify that. That kind of comes up in my reviews. But I remember when I lived in D.C. once. Um, we lived in D.C. and we had a short-term rental a few years back, and um, there was people who were like um, there were some people who would show up to our property and we just drive away. <laughs> we lived in a, um, uh, I'm, I'm white. Yeah. I live in a white, I'm a white, I'm white, a white, a, a white wife and white kids. And we yeah, lived yeah. in an all black neighborhood. Yeah. And, um, but we had this Airbnb and we were really close to like the city central and, and we loved it. And we had great relationships with our neighbors, but, um, There'd be people who drive up and be like, I'm not staying here. And so we ended up in our listing writing something to the extent, because I thought it was extremely inappropriate for these people to do this. But we wrote something to the extent of like, hey, like we live in a developing neighborhood. Um, you know, we have great relationships with our neighbors and and really friendly and, and kind. Yeah. Uh, but if you're uncomfortable with... Um, uh, what was the word we used? We used something like, if you're uncomfortable with diversity, this isn't the place for you. So it's so diplomatic, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But you but have to you have to do it to cover your own ass. It was more of like like, hey, like we're inviting people into an experience. Yeah. Like part of why we lived in that neighborhood yeah. was you know, we wanted our girls to live for a couple years yeah. with people that were different than them. Yeah, at least a different color of skin than them. For sure. You know, yeah. and, and be like, hey, that's that's okay. Where we live here in Reading, it's it's a very majority like white Mon- community, monochromatic. Would be the yeah, community. yeah. Uh-huh. And so when we moved to DC, it was like, yeah, let's like let's live on in the in a black neighborhood. Yeah, like not a problem. Yeah, and and it was an amazing experience for all of us, and um, made some really great friends along the way. And but we, we we said it in yep. a very kind of diplomatic way, like, hey, if you're a racist <laughs>
0: bigot, asshole This is not the thing for you. <laughs> this isn't the place for
1: you. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't yeah. stay in our Airbnb. Which is so aggressively awesome because you're you're forcing it back on them, right? To be the one to opt out. And yeah, th- and that's all you need to do is plausible deniability yeah. on paper, in writing, right? And so
1: in our in our, our downtown ready one, it's like, hey, we have you know, transient population here yeah. that we you know love and support. Yep, and you know have great you know hope for. And hey, there's people that are you know in in transition. Yeah, and they're not harmful. Yeah, there we've never had an incident. Um, I'm trying to come up right right now what to say on this listing, but um, I um I would you just,
0: know I just say hey we're we're in the urban core of of Redding, California. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, there is some transient population. We've never had any issues, um, you know, but, but want you to be aware if anything does come up or if you have any concerns, please let us know, but just wanted you to know.
1: Yeah. And, and so there's things like, like, like one thing we just changed actually, yeah. cause we had a, um, a, a hose bib in the front yard okay. and a lot of this population would stop and use the hose bib. We have guests in there, you which know, is, so they go water. up water. It's water, right? Uh They get water out of it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. fill up their water bottles. To put a lock on Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. We ended up putting a lock on it. Mm -hmm. You know, just to change that because we had some guests that were uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, or we increased, you know, kind of the blackout curtains. Yep. To make guests feel more comfortable. But that's part of, like, if you want to stay downtown in Reading, you're going to see that. I mean, how, you know? how
0: much of that, though, is, is is so much of perception is reality, right? How black how blackout curtains, and if I just don't see what's outside, I don't care. And depending on why you're traveling, if you're just traveling for a romantic getaway with your significant other, how much are you going to be outside? Let's just be honest, right? Yeah. So it's just like the, the purpose of it, like I, I don't care a lot, right? Yeah, I don't want my car to be broken into. I, yeah, that, that would that would not be great. I would, yeah. I would agree with that. But I also can't control, like, the hot water heater going out. I can't control the fridge breaking. I can't control the HVAC unit leaking. I can't, I can't, there's things that I can't control. But you can control things like house rules. So, this idea of expectation setting, staying on this theme of there's the expectations that we set for guests. And I, I'm actually an offender of it, where, you know, especially when I go into hotels, I always just say it's just me, because most of the time it's business travel. But sometimes my, my wife and kids come and, there's four people, but I'm always, I'm always uh, you know booking a, a two-queen bed regardless of whether it's me or not. But in Airbnb, if you say that there's just you and one other people and you and a kid and a pet show up, that's actually a breaking of a social contract that you are setting. And so this idea of having kind of house rules or acknowledgements um, is something to think through. And every property is different, so there's just some nuance there. But talk to me about kind of the, the house rules that you've come up with relative to the properties that you own in your portfolio
1: yeah so on most of these uh, OTAs there'll be a section for rules right and they might have a few like line items that are kind of like check boxes yes or no like typically they have this so smoking yes or no pets yes or no Uh, parties or events events yes or no who checks yes to any of those um, well, if you have an event style space, okay. All right. um, where you allow events, yeah. sure. You know, All
0: right. okay.
1: Um, but yeah, so, so we'll always check those. No, but then, so we have, we also have on a lot of these, you can have some kind of blurb where it's kind of like a booking blurb, like, yeah. Hey, you read this blurb and then you agree to it before you book. So we actually have that checked, um, on, on Airbnb, for example, and our burbs our blurb you know, re-emphasizes some of these components like hey, this is a no smoking property, yep. inside and out, because mm-hmm. we don't want people smoking anywhere yeah. on the property. Um, you know, this is a no pet property. Um, this this property is for you know registered guests only. Yeah. Meaning you can only have people on site who are registered. And, you know, there's quiet hours. Yeah. Between 10, and p.m. and 7 A.m. We usually u- utilize whatever quiet hours the city we're in has, which you know those are publicly available mm-hmm. that everybody's supposed to abide by. Yep. Um, and and then we say something like, "Hey, if, if this is okay, these are our rules. If, if you agree to them, we'd love to host you. Does this work for you? Yeah? Question mark. Yeah. And they literally have to check a box that says
0: yes, which is which is the writing compliance that they need to acknowledge, which gives you precedent that if you need to. Enforce it because expectations are rules, right?
1: Yeah. And, and enforcement is a whole different issue. And I, I think we're going to do a whole episode on like what to do about yeah. guests that break your rules. For sure. Because yeah. um, that's a little bit trickier situation to deal with. But the point is, you clearly set what expectations you have mm-hmm. and what rules you expect them to follow through. Yeah. And 95% of guests are going to do it.
0: So, I mean, is it true – do you think it's true that if you, if you set proper expectations, you believe you can always have a successful booking or a, a booking confirmed with a high review?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're going to have the occasional bad guest. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, no matter how many uh, – no matter how well you set up your listing, no matter how clear, clear, clearly you describe what your listing is and what it isn't, what your rules are, you're going to have guests that just – have unrealistic expectations, yep. that break your rules, yeah. that are just jerks looking yep. for a bone to pick. Yep. It's gonna happen, yep. no matter what. If you're in this hospitality business, you can talk to any hospitality operator anywhere in the world, yep. and they can tell you no matter what you do, even if you run the perfect business, you're gonna have guests that have issues.
0: Now, but I mean, if you are um, inaccurate, However, listened- I will say,
1: I will say, and I don't know if this number is exactly right, but I I typically use the number 95% of guests. Okay. 9.5 out of 10 guests are fantastic. Okay. And it's probably even less than that. It's probably less than that, honestly. Um, But you do get the bad guest every once in a while.
0: And you can't fix unhappy. You can't first – you can't fix asshole, right?
1: Yeah, and there's there's a large scale of what that is. There's kind of maybe you get a slightly bad review – there's maybe you had your, you know, your guest communications person had to have a few more conversations with that person all the way to the scale of on the, on the deep end of this is, you know, they were terrible. They were, you know, a ton to deal with during,
0: you know, they asked for a refund, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Well, you know? But part of it too is how are, you know, how articulate you are in your description, the pictures that you said, if you're, if you are. If you're promising luxury, if you're using those terminologies, and it's rustic, if you're if you're if you're setting the wrong expectation front, up front, you're setting yourself up for, for drama, and drama is usually a negative. It's not usually a positive in in my in my you know perspective, uh, but we can avoid a lot of that by setting proper expectations. Um, kind of, kind of round this out is kind of, we start off with, you know, the review rating system and how important it is for a short-term rental operator. I mean, it really is the, I don't know, I don't know if it, if you call it the lifeblood, but it is the lubricant to, for the business to make sure you are looking as good as possible for your listings. Uh, but I mean, your personality too, your guest relations or customer satisfaction, like it, it is a personality versus personality game, right? And so, um, you might just have someone having a bad day. You might have someone that has a personality conflict with your with your management system too. But most, I think, most guests, and when I, I'm speaking as a guest, most most stays are, are just neutral. Hey, I, I need somewhere to crash, and I crashed, and I left, and it was fine. It wasn't it wasn't great, or it wasn't great. But this idea of this idea of, of uh, you know, if you're a farmer, you know, planting the seed, watering the seed and then harvesting, the review is kind of the harvest. It's kind of the end result that you need to gain out of this transaction besides the money. The money and the review are something that you get. The stay in the experience is what they get.
1: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it depends on the type of property it is. Yeah. Like, like kind of what I hear you describing is more of like a crash pad.
0: This I mean, from, from a business perspective, 15 years, that's all I needed.
1: Yeah, know, and right? that's what you were looking for. Yeah, yeah. And right. so when you're crashing somewhere, you're like, it, it wasn't great. But it did the job. Yep. You know, and it was the right price point. I got
0: six hours and got on a plane.
1: You're so not right. gonna write some extensive no. review about oh this was amazing. No, no. You know? Yeah. But that's not the type of place it was. Yeah, for sure. You know? So so I have some bookings like that, yep. you know, here in Reading that are kind of small, simple spots and they don't get like rave reviews yeah. or anything. But then I've got some spaces, you know, up in the mountains that have ripping views and are really cool and unique. And I get some like paragraph long, like Rating? this is the best place yeah. I've ever stayed at in my life. So it depends on the type of listing yeah, you have, for like sure. what features you have, yeah. what amenities you have. Yep. Um, you know, all of that goes into it. Um, but it's okay. Like you don't have to judge it. Like I don't judge one of these as like better than the other. Yeah. Like because ultimately, what's the bottom line? We don't we don't live there and we don't care and it's about making money that's right you know yeah. so even if you have a property you could have a property and this is where i want to give you permission right now
0: yeah
1: a a so five star review is perfect if you run a business long enough you will not have a five star review yeah there is no way Good. you will have five stars well perfect doesn't exist i no. mean you have to, you have so, to yeah so yeah i exist. mean i've had i've had properties that have been five stars through 20 guests yeah but eventually you're going to get one guest yeah that's going to be a jerk and is going to write you down Futs right fucks up your ratings yeah, and that's fine. Now you're at four point nine, but it might just be like that's just who they are. They never get five ratings. Exactly. That might yeah. just be who they are, yeah, yeah. right? So, but yeah, I mean, if you have a let's just say you know if you have a four point five star, which is relatively low, yeah, in the Airbnb world, like you don't get to have a four star property, yeah, yeah, like they'll take your property off, yeah. Like so, a four point five star property is like decently low, okay you can have a 4.5 star property. One of my best performing properties is a 4.5 star property. Financially? Financially, my best performing property. Yeah, okay. Um, it's it's this one that's downtown that has transient people walk walk through regularly. It's also one you have a, an ADU that you build out in the garage that covers the mortgage. Yeah, so I have two units on one property yes. that I bought for pretty cheap, yep. Modeled economically. Mm-hmm. They're cool. They're, they're not luxury they by do. any means, but they're, they're vibey. Yeah, they're totally vibey, for sure. You know, I, I love the proximity of it. I haven't... Oh, yeah. We lived in it for a while. Killer. Yeah. You know, you're right by the river trail, you're right by the bike trail. So some people, you either love it or you hate it. yeah. yeah it's yeah. one or the other. Yeah. I still book people financially, the house and the ADU together. They do really well as a whole. Yeah. It's my lowest performing short-term rental of that size, but... I don't need it to be that big. I don't need it to be that great because of the price point I bought it at. This yes. goes back to the beginning. It does. Of this conversation. It all depends on what you bought it at. Well, Did you buy it at value? If you overbought it, if I would have overbought it and had a super high interest rate on it,
0: I'd be struggling right now, but that's that. But that is the idea of turning one door into two. And you bought it, so I mean, the house we're in right now is very similar to your yeah. your, your house downtown. Way better neighborhood. Way better neighborhood. Not downtown, but way better. Neighborhood. But but if you can turn the garage into an ADU, you blend your margins and you also um, de-risk the investment too, because you look at it as one mortgage you're paying off of, but two doors. Like it's it's a different it's a different equation at the end of the day. Quickly, as we wrap up here, this idea of uh, for people that are in their first short-term rental or they're looking to get into their first short-term rental and becoming a manager of short-term rental property, you need to get into the review business. Like you need to think of reviews as part of your job. And you went through a process. I don't know, how long, how long did you go not strategically looking at how do we up our, our rating system and then um, and then from that what was the process you went through of, of reviewing your reviews and then creating kind of an internal program and process to make sure you're maximizing the feedback and make sure that feedback was as, as high or as positive as possible.
1: Yeah, sure. So so when you're on a when you booking through an OTA, you know, there's a certain timeline each OTA gives you of, you know, how long a guest and yourself as the owner or operator have to review that stay, mm-hmm. right? So you each get to review each other, yep. right? That's how this works. And, um, so a lot of people just stay and then don't review, yeah. period. And so they're not helping you at all. Maybe they like their stay, yeah, but they're just not reviewing. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's your job as the host to remind them yep. to stay. And it's also your job, um, you know, so we noticed, you know, through the beginning, I don't know how long we did it for, but um, uh, years. I mean, we started in 2014. Yeah. Is it, you know, it wasn't until like about a year ago where we kind of said, hey, how can we engage more in in soliciting
0: good reviews? So there, the, you, you, what you saw there that was, hey, there's an untapped value here for us. There's a, there, there's a return that if we put in – five to eight percent more effort, we get a disproportionate amount of return of value from our properties. Yeah.
1: Okay. So 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 one is 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 you know, getting people to review your property who weren't gonna review, who enjoy their stay. I'm I'm a big offender by the way of non reviews. Alright. <laughs> okay. And then getting people who um uh who are gonna review yeah. um to write something more extensive and deep about what they like. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then also, if somebody had a bad experience, don't remind them at all, and hopefully
0: they forget. Okay. So that's also part of this. Okay. So we have that part in our strategy. So it's as well. maximizing your upside and limiting your downside potential downside. Okay. Got
1: it. So so we put together a plan of uh, there's things that we do throughout the messaging, which we start from the very beginning. Okay. You know, we start from the very beginning of you know saying something to the extent of. You know, excited for you to stay with us. Um, You know, I don't remember exact wording, but something to the extent of, you know, we try to provide a five-star stay for every one of our guests. Once you check in, if there's any issues, please let us know. We'd love to help address them. Yeah. And that's one thing that we've actually learned. You know, sometimes guests will not say things and then say things at the end. Yeah. And be like, hey, we could have dealt with that. We could have fixed it. We could have done something about that. And that affected your stay, and that affected your review. So we try to put that in up front, like, "Hey, we want that opportunity, yeah, to make this right. Yep. Yeah. If there's any issues, let's make it right, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna have a great stay. Yeah. You know. And we're willing to do that. That's part of our our guarantee. Yeah. And part of a you know part of our contract to them mm-hmm. is like, hey, if you're missing something, tell us. Yeah. If there's an issue with the water heater, tell us. Yeah. We don't want to hear at the end like, I didn't have hot water the whole stay. Like, yeah. What the heck? Yeah, 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 like we could have done something about that really easily. Yeah, like we have those systems in place to address that. Yeah. Um, and so and then, um, you know, we kind of drop those kind of hints throughout about what it is, and then we actually have a number of review reminders. So when somebody checks out, we have a message that goes out um, that talks about, um, you know, happy to stay with them. You know, you know, ha- you know, we're so glad they stayed with us. Uh, We're a small business that's dependent on, um, you know, guest reviews. Uh, If you enjoyed your stay, you know, please leave us a review and
0: and help us. And and usually there's a recency bias. And so um, Uber is a great example of this. Like the likelihood of me giving a five-star review to a driver when they, as soon as I, I close the door of that ride is as high as it can be. The longer from that from that experience the lower my probability is to review that why it's straight convenience it's straight convenience of like it didn't cost me anything. i'm literally still in the car and they send it off why because there's literally hundreds of millions of dollars in investment capital going into consumer psychology and then review psychology from these tech companies about how reviews work right wow. so there, there's algorithms that are in place and built to prey on the way that we naturally think about, oh, what do I think about that stay? What do I think about that experience? And the, the recency bias that goes into capturing that for better or for worse, it usually is the faster I can capture that feedback, the better it is for me both ways. The longer you're out from that stay, the lower the lower probability is. So this idea of an automatic reminder, you basically created a script. An, auto, an automated script that you deploy after every stay, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't, you built it once, and it runs yeah. every time, right?
1: Yeah, and so we we kind of, when we first started, when I built out this strategy, yeah. I probably overdid it. I well, had like five. How do, you know? how do you know? Well, I do know, because <laughs> I tested it. <laughs> so I had like five reminders. Yeah, yeah. So you have like two weeks yeah. to write a review. So I had one at like, uh, you know, checkout, day three, day five. Day seven, day 11, and day 14. I had, I had a bunch. A, that's aggressive. I was aggressive. It's aggressive. And it got the job done, but then we did get a few reviews yeah. where it said something like, um, yeah, stay was good, but they just like keep harping on me, me to leave I mean, a review. Yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. overwhelming, a yeah. bit overbearing, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I stopped listening. Um, I wasn't paying and, attention. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, let me dial it back yeah. to – so I took out like two reminders, you know, yeah. so now I think we have about, I think three reminders. Yeah. Um, and we kind of, we kind of play with the wording, you know, we kind of softened it up at first. We were a little more hardcore, Yeah. but we try to also educate people like, Hey, the review system yeah. is not like uh, a four-star review is not a good review. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A four-star review is failing yeah, according to sure. Airbnb. For sure. You know? And so we try to educate people about what a five-star review is, what a four-star review is. So we have some language in there. and You can't get like too in depth, you know, in these kind of messaging. But ex- exposure and education is really important. I mean, yeah, because we used to get some reviews where people were like, oh, four four star. This place was amazing. I loved it." I'm like, "You just gave me a terrible review." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, yeah. but
0: you, but your word said I loved it. If if you loved it and experienced these feelings, that's a five star. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, yeah. in in a professional standpoint in sales, psychology says that. I have to contact you have to hear something seven to eleven times before you even acknowledge it as something that I should pay attention to right and that's in a professional sense so you're at work in a different mindset this isn't a different this is more of an, usually in a personal casual situation an experience with an Airbnb is different but but I mean this idea from a sales perspective if I'm not if I'm not asking at least five to seven times I'm not really asking because there's so so much onslaught now. The fact that we have text and the fact that we have text, email, it, it does increase the odds a little bit, but just based off of how many reminders people need to even pay attention, it's ridiculously low. And, and to that is we need to overcompensate to get what, which I always ask myself in most of my investment strategies, what's the minimal amount of investment I need to be successful? And that could be three to five automated text messages and or emails to get a review. Because if that's what I need to maximize my upside for my investment, I'm gonna do it. And they're gonna, there's gonna be feelings both ways. But that's more, that's more dealing with personalities. People like, the people that, that understand that it's a business you're running, awesome, cool, five stars, you got it dude, yeah, I get it, right? People that don't, you're gonna get different reviews. But the, the psychology around it is that people are used to being bombarded with information and with ask of their time and of their resources this is a business, though. At the same time, there there is a, a mutual understanding that the product and the service that you're providing does cost them not just time, but also a review. And that's the type of the currency, and it's part of the trust contract that we're putting out there as the product, correct? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the the automated the automated messaging is something that each person needs to think through. Um, obviously, if you do 10 messages in, in 10 days, that's aggressive, but at the same time, like, You have two weeks to capitalize off that experience. And if you're doing I mean I've I've also you know, I've gone to conferences and I've started the campaigns in conference. So day two of the conference, I am saying, you know, let's meet up. How's your experience? What's going on? Like during the experience of checking in, that check in process can actually be part of the future review. Totally. Yeah. And we absolutely do that.
1: That's um, really important.
0: So I think I think that I think that covers off on our our topics. I know we're we we will do kind of a, a lessons learned or or big topics of 2022. I think that might be our first episode 2023. Yeah. Um but overall it's been a killer year. Uh the market's been crazy. A lot of markets are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it 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 is going to be a buyers market here for the foreseeable future as long as you're getting the right deal in the right area that you feel like is going to position you for the, the highest amount of success for, for your goal. So yeah, any any other last thoughts or comments around expectation setting before we let the audience go?
1: No, I, I, I mean, I'll just say this, you know, Happy New Year to everybody. And and I've really enjoyed this podcast. Yeah. And and, and I think we'll do some 2022 highlights. Yep. The next, the first episode of, of 2023. Um, but I'm I'm so excited we've got gotten to do this, you know, ten episodes deep here. It's been really fun. It's pretty cool. It's been really fun for us. You know, hopefully, you know, we really hope you guys have enjoyed this, you know, journey with us and, and we plan to keep going. I think we're just picking up steam, yeah,
0: right now. And I mean, I think we're getting better.
1: Yeah, I mean, we enjoy we enjoy making these. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. We are usually drinking a whiskey while we're making these. Hopefully, you're drinking a whiskey or, or something delicious while you're, you're listening. And and yeah, we want to just keep adding value to people and having fun. Yeah. Um, Those are, those are, those are probably my two core values here.
0: Yeah. And we, and I mean, eventually we want to incorporate kind of your, your all success stories into this too. I mean, if we can help you get a great buy or help you avoid bad buys, I mean, both are really, really impactful. I mean, as far as kind of, there is a community, whether we, we know about each other or not, or whether we have enough self-awareness about the community or not, but There's a whole generation of buyers that aren't our parents, that aren't our grandparents, and that aren't institutional investors. They don't have multiple millions of dollars to go out there and drop. It's just like, what's the next best step I can take for me and my goals or my family or my community? And it's like, if we can help you better your hand, and that's kind of how we think about portfolio is how do I better my hand? Um, You know, that's ultimately our goal. And, uh, and kind of to hear the success of your stories is, is awesome. I mean, you know, we're doing this for us, but if, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, it, it is part of everyone's journey and everyone's in a different place. So thanks for coming along with us. Uh, episode 10, we hit the double digit mark. Dennis and Christian out.